thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here. I thank you for those that are here in the room and for those that will join us now or later online. I pray that you'll open your word and I pray that our minds and our hearts will be open to receive it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jesus just finished talking uh, the the last passage about uh, the sad reality that the world will hate genuine Christians because the world hates Jesus, right? That just sounds terrible, right? I want to be positive. But the reality is when you shine the light on people's sin, they don't want to have anything to do with you. And uh, that's going all the way back to John chapter three. He talks about, the Lord talks about, uh, there are those who want to avoid the light because the light shines on their lives and shows that they're doing something that they don't want. And this is, honestly, this is the reason why a lot of people decide at some point in life to become atheists. It's not on the basis of evidence or the lack of evidence. It's on the basis of, I don't want anybody telling me what to do, right? I, you know, I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. And I want to call my own shots and make my own rules. And I don't need a God standing over me and, you know, telling me what to do. And that's honestly... It's sad to have to mention it, but Satanism is on the rise again, right? They're actually trying to start uh, after-school Satan clubs in schools, right? And so I saw a post that somebody shared, and it came from, you know, the Satanic cult, and it said, F the Father, F the Son, and F the Holy Spirit, Satan after-school clubs, are you kidding me right now? But this is, if you go back and you look at um, the so-called Satanic Bible, which was, it's just a book that was written by this fellow named Anton LaVey um, back in the 60s. It's all about getting what you desire in the here and now, right? And isn't that what Satan's always offered? You know, in the Garden of Eden, hey, here's this fruit. It looks good, all right? It'll give you wisdom. It'll give you, you know, it'll make you like God. So, rebel against God and get what you want now rather than waiting. So when you have the Lord Jesus who dies for our sins, you can do one of two things. You can either choose to reject the idea that there is sin. So I don't need forgiveness. That's not sin. I can do what I want. Or you can realize that there is sin and you do sin and the Lord Jesus came to die for your sin, right? But there's conviction that's there. And we're going to see a little bit about conviction this week. But that's what the last passage was about. Um... In fact, the last verse in the previous passage, this is 15, John 15, 25. He says, but this has happened, that is the world hates me and hates the disciples, so that the word that is written in their law will be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. So um, this is probably a loose quote from Psalm 35, 19 or 69, 4. Um, King David endured a lot of contempt from Saul and his followers, even though he'd done nothing to deserve this. And, you know, if you just try to lead a good life and follow the Lord, there's just always people that will be angry and hostile and jealous. Jealousy is a big motivator for hatred. Do you know what the most hated NFL team right now is? The Kansas City Chiefs. Guess what the second most hated NFL team is? Dallas Cowboys. Even though they haven't won anything in forever, it's just such an iconic brand. It's always amazed me. Why do people hate the Cowboys? I don't get it, man. We haven't won anything since the 90s. It's been almost 30 years. You know, why? Now, the Chiefs, I can understand that, but it's just jealousy. I used to hate the Patriots. Um, I really did. 
Oh man, I need to call him back. This is my stepdad. I called him earlier. It's his birthday today, but I'm not going to answer it in the middle of Bible study, even though he's very important. I'm also not going to sit here and talk to him. <laughs> he would hate that. This is this is an old school man's man. He, you know, he doesn't even like to talk on the phone. I know. I call him twice a year. I call him on his birthday, which is today, and I call him on Father's Day, right? And we talk for about five at the most, and I mean the most, most, 10 minutes, you know, and that's it. He's just... Um, yeah, I need to see him. He's, uh, he'd be 80. When was he born? 30, 38 or 39, in 1938 or 1939. So he's getting up there and he's a big, big dude. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I'll call him back after this. There, it's telling me that I have a voicemail. In any event, okay, um, yeah, uh, you know, if you're just a a semi-public figure, okay, you're, a, you know, a principal at a school or a pastor at a church, they're just going to be people that decide they hate you. And sometimes it's just, they just don't like you personally. They don't like what you stand for. In the case of the Chiefs, like my mentioning the Patriots, uh, I, I just hated them because it's like they were always in the Super Bowl and I was just sick of them, you know? And I think that's everybody, you know, it's the, it's, it's uh, Travis Kelsey and uh, what's her name? What's her name? Taylor Swift, right. And they're not doing anything wrong. They're just being boyfriend and girlfriend. And it just reminds me of like high school, right? You know, the cheerleader is dating the quarterback and she's like, Whoa! she's wearing his jacket and all this <laughs> But it cracks me up that people are so hateful, man. So yeah, if you, you know, if you stand up, you know, yeah, you're going to get hated by somebody. But if you follow Jesus, that's definitely the case. All right. So then the next thing the Lord says, this is John 15, 26 and 27. And it really leads right into chapter 16. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, namely the spirit of truth who comes from the father, he will testify about me. And you are testifying as well because you have been with me from the beginning. So let's be reminded going back to chapter 14 that that term helper is a translation of the Greek word parakletos, okay? It's two words in Greek. Para, which means beside, and kaleo is the verb, which means to call. So it is someone who is called alongside you. It's your helper. Um, this is what the woman is called for the man in Genesis, right? It says there was no there was no one corresponding to Adam among all of the animals. So she uh, he puts Adam to sleep and he takes a rib out of his side and creates woman and she will be his helper. Well, I've mentioned this to people before, but the most common usage for that Hebrew word in the Old Testament, which is Ezer, helper, is to God as our helper. So here we see the Holy Spirit is called to come alongside and be the helper. So, you know, there, there's a tendency to think that if the woman doesn't have the same kind of role in life as the man, then that means that she's less important or being considered less important. But nothing could be further from the truth. Um, it's an absolute essential that you have support. And the wife is the 
ultimate earthly support. But know this, the Holy Spirit is the one that we really need to lean on as our helper, right? So that's why I'm always praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to you when we, uh, when we uh, do these Bible studies. I want him to be your teacher. I want him to help you to understand, okay? Um, the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth, and that's, so uh, the Holy Spirit being called the helper by Jesus is found in chapter 14 in the upper room, just a couple, ch- uh, well, a chapter back from where we are now, uh, 14, 16, and 26. And again, it is that word, paraclete, right, which means to be called alongside. So other translations will call uh, the Holy Spirit the counselor, right? But it has a sort of a, more of a, a legal idea there, right? So you know that uh, if you have an attorney, the attorney is often called counselor, right? He's giving you legal counsel. So this isn't like a counselor like, man, I'm feeling really bad. Help me feel better, counselor. That I think that element is there because it's the person that's called alongside you to help you, period. But this idea of the counselor fits into the Holy Spirit being the spirit of truth. And in the next chapter, the Holy Spirit uh being in the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, right? So this idea of the conviction of the world, the Holy Spirit is kind of like our uh, defense attorney, if you will, but the Holy Spirit is really kind of like the prosecuting attorney to the world, right? This conviction that is there, but the conviction is not conviction to drive people to... uh, despair because they're condemned, but it's conviction of sin so that it will drive them to the Lord to be forgiven, right? To receive forgiveness, all right? Um, So in also in chapter 14, uh, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth as he does here. Whenever truth is spoken by whomever, the spirit validates it to the conscience of the listener. So even somebody that doesn't claim to be a believer, right? I was talking to this young man, and I won't mention his name, but he's like on this big uh, kick to really turn his life around, okay? And I'm over at Intrinsic, and uh, he comes and sits down beside me, and he plays this video on, on his phone, right? And then he asks me some questions and he says, can I record this? So he says, I won't, I won't post it online. And so he just like sets his phone down, you know, and he starts asking me these questions. And of course, I'm trying to correlate this to Christian faith, you know, because he's talking about, you know, surrounding yourself with the right kind of people, the right kind of friends, being a positive influence on people. And I said, you know, that's what the church is. The church is being surrounded by people that are supporting each other in faith, right? And going the right direction. And he said, yeah, I just, I don't want to be religious and I don't want to drive people to religion. And, you know, so I understand this, but there was this correspondence there between what he was talking about in Christian faith. And so I'm trying to, you know, draw him that direction. And he was very receptive to it. This is why I say, no matter where the truth is coming from, the truth is still true, and the Holy Spirit is going to be the convincer, right? He's going to be the one that uh, lets people know, hey, this is really true. Pay attention to this, right? Testifying about Jesus. So that's what he says. I'm going to, uh, 
He says, the Holy Spirit is going to testify about me and you are testifying as well because you've been with me from the beginning. So testifying about Jesus will be what both the Holy Spirit and the soon-to-be apostles will do. Uh, Jesus states that they've been with him from the beginning so that they can bear witness to the whole story. From From the beginning of Christ's ministry when he was baptized by John through the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Peter made this a requirement for choosing a successor to Judas. So if you go over and you read Acts 1, 21 and 22, after the Lord ascended, after Jesus ascended, Peter wants to appoint a 12th apostle. And this is what uh, Peter says. He says, this needs to be someone who has been with us from the beginning, from John's baptism forward. Okay, so that's what the 12 right? That was their primary job initially. They were the ones that had been with Jesus from the beginning, and they were going to testify to his resurrection primarily. However, um, the New Testament records this testimony of Jesus. It's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're really reading it right now. That's exactly what we're doing. Um, So we're exposed to the witness of the apostles through this Bible, and we're convicted by the same Holy Spirit to believe. Each time the gospel is proclaimed or the Bible is taught, the Holy Spirit convicts the consciences of those who pay attention. Now, I keep saying that, those who pay attention, because Jesus said over and over, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear, because you know, it's like the parable of the soils. Jesus talked about the, the, the farmer is going to, you know, plant the seed. He's going to broadcast the seed out and it's going to fall on these different types of soil, right? Well, the first type of soil that it's going to fall on that Jesus mentions that is, is the, is the path, the road. Well, the road has just been, you know, it's, it's dirt. It's not concrete or asphalt, Right. But it's been so trodden, it's been so walked on that it's just hard pack. And so the seed never never gets into the ground and have any has any time to germinate, okay? So what happens? The birds come along and grab it and take it away. That's people that are not paying attention. And that can be in church, right? It's not just... You know, people that don't come to church and don't pay attention, that can be anywhere. I mean, I like the fact that we're able to put this on Facebook and, um, you know, all these different things. But the thing is, I know that when somebody's watching this on Facebook, there's a hundred distractions there, right? The likelihood of them just camping out and, you know, paying attention to the whole message for 40 minutes or an hour is, is very slim, and I've seen the statistics from YouTube, and I, I was told by somebody recently that I need to stop saying this. <laughs> but it's true. You see, oh, look, this many people watched it. And then you look at the statistics. And it's like, you know, it's an hour and 20-minute service, and the average watch time is six minutes. I'm like, yeah, that's uh, not really what we're doing. And, you know, we can be in the room here on Sunday morning. We had a great group that was here that last Sunday. It's you know, it was awesome. But I don't know how many people are actually paying attention or not. I mean, I don't. You've got to choose to pay attention. It's important. But if you do, then the Holy Spirit is going to be working, right? And even if you don't, I think the Holy Spirit will try to, you know, speak with that still small voice and convict you, convince you to listen, okay? So, um, yeah, that, that's the, the testimony that we're receiving from the apostles and from the Holy Spirit now 
Also, however, I would say that the the commission to bear witness, right, to give testimony is for us as well, right? Jesus told uh, those 12, he said, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. But I think that extends to you and I as well. We're, we're here to receive the word, okay, and to apply the word and then to share the word. And I always tell people their response is not your responsibility. It's just your responsibility to shine the light and share. Like, you know, my young friend from Sunday night. I mean, you know, I didn't hard sell, hard sell, hard sell Jesus because he's good friends with Nicholas who goes here. And, um, you know, so I just really encouraged him to talk to Nick about some of these things as well um, because they, you know, work together over there all the time. And... Uh, so yeah, we, we share the gospel as people are willing to listen on, and are able to bear it. And so we're doing this same thing and the Holy Spirit is gonna be uh, involved in that sharing that you do, right? In, in you, when you testify to the Lord, then you can count on the reality that the Holy Spirit is going to be there between you and them seeking to convict them, all right? Um, I also want to say that Jesus is the final revelation of God to humankind. Every alleged prophecy must be from Christ and relate to his involvement to the world. Uh, in Revelation, uh, John receives this word from an angel. That he's overwhelmed. John, the same writer of this gospel, overwhelmed in the presence of this angel. And he bows down to the angel. And the angel said, whoa, don't do that. And then the angel says, uh, the, uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when someone is claiming to share the word of God or share a word, a lot, lot of times we'll hear that. You heard somebody, I've got a word for you. Okay? I've even been in situations where, you know, they want you to sit in a chair so that they can prophesy over you, right? This is a word for you. That even happened to me in a church service from our church, uh, I had um, a fellow that um, had been a really a stellar contemporary Christian musician in the late 70s and early 80s when I was coming to faith. And I found out that this guy was living in Rockwall at the time. And so I got a hold of his ministry and I asked him if he would come over uh, and share some of his songs with our church. So he did. He, you know, didn't, uh, I, I think we paid him an honorarium, but not anywhere near what he's probably, you know, accustomed to receiving. Um, but he came over. Do you remember this? When we were over at the Seventh-day Adventist church, the, the Christian musician guy, and then he sat me down in the chair and Tim Shepard. But he was real, so he comes from a more charismatic background. You know, he's more accustomed to that. But he was just really, you know, he says, just listen to this. And he says, if, if it doesn't apply, then he said, just, you know, put it on the shelf. Don't worry about it. Joseph. So it wasn't, huh? He said something about yes, about Joseph's brothers throwing him in a pit. And I was like, okay, I'm going to cry right about now. I have that recorded at some point. It's like on tape somewhere. I don't know. So I'm not disparaging that utterly. What I'm saying is that there are a lot of self-proclaimed prophets and people that are claiming to have a word from God. And we need to bear in mind that all of this is about testifying to Jesus and his interaction in the world.
That's why I'm relating this to you, okay? So when we share, when we read the word, um, and when the Holy Spirit, you know, convinces us of a word, it's always going to be ultimately about Jesus and his involvement in the world, okay? So now let's move on to the next chapter. Uh, let's look at uh, 16, John 16, 1 through 4. Jesus continues, These things I have spoken to you so that you will not be led into sin. They will ban you from the synagogue, yet an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think he's offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you, are, you may remember that I told you of them. However, I did not say these things to you at the beginning because I was with you. All right, so this, honestly, as I'm reading this, I'm just, I'm made abundantly aware of the kind of the woodenness, I suppose you would say, of a literal translation. It's, yeah, it's hard. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reread this. I'm going to still teach from this translation. This is the New American Standard Bible. It's good. It's literal. I like it. But when you read a long passage from NASB or ESV, they're so literal, they're so wooden that you're like, what did I just read? Okay. I don't know if you felt that way, but as I was reading it, I was feeling that. All right. You'll like this. This is New Living Translation. Now, this is a more dynamic translation, right? So it's going to push over to the side of how would we say this Greek phrase, not this word, this Greek phrase, okay? How would we say that in English? How would we best convey that? So instead of word for word, which NASB is, it's thought for thought. So here you go, same passage, John 16, 1 through 4, but now the New Living Translation. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Isn't that great? That just makes sense. But this is why you should have these different translations alongside one another. You know, there are people that are just, they are so disturbed by the fact there are, well, there's just so many translations. That's to your benefit. All right? I read Greek, but I don't read it that well, but I read Greek, okay? And I can look at these translations and say, oh, 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 this is really great. But you probably don't. So as long as they're good translations, right? NASB, ESV, NLT, that's what I just read, New Living Translation, NIV, whether it's the older one from uh, 1984 or the newest one, um, from, uh, when did they do that one? 2011, I think is when they did the newer one. Uh, these are good translations. And it's, yeah, lay them down alongside each other. They used to produce, and I'm sure you can still buy uh, what, they're, what are called parallel translations. And so they'll, they'll lay anywhere from two to eight. I had, didn't I give you a parallel Bible one time, a hundred years ago? Like the eight, was it the eight one? Yeah, I love that. So it lays eight translations down alongside. That's what you want. Because you want to get an idea of what's going on, you know, when you when you part the veil and you look into the original, okay? And so when you have these credible um, scholars who are translating this, 
All right, you have insight into what that text actually says in the original language. So anyway, that's what I like about this. But let's go back. I when I teach, I like to use word for word translations. So here we are. Um, the first phrase he says, I, uh, uh, NASB says, "I've spoken to you so that you will not be led into sin." Now, if you noticed. The uh, NLT says, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. That's probably closer to what this means, right? Um, In the 1995 edition of the NASB, this is an older version of the same uh, Bible. It translates translates it uh, to keep you from falling away. So this newer one says that you will not be led into sin. The older one so that it keep you from falling away. And then, um, I'm sorry, that's ESV, to keep you from falling away. The older version of the NASB says so that you may be kept from stumbling. It's likely that based on the context of the rest of this passage, Jesus is referring to apostasy. He's referring to what we see people doing all the time today. They're turning their backs on their faith. Okay. Um, and in this case, it is due to persecution. And I suppose to some degree, you could see that it's, you know, lightweight persecution. It's not, you're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your life. It's more, you know, you're going to be banned on social media or people are going to, you know, uh, cancel you or whatever. Okay. If you want to call that persecution and people are just, you know, they don't want to deal with it anymore. They don't want to deal with, uh, having to strive against the, the, the cultural flow, right? The culture is just going madly in the opposite direction of Christian faith right now. I mean, it really, really is. Okay. So then he says they will ban you from the synagogue. So that's why I say, I think this relates to, uh, not just stumbling or sinning, but from uh, relates to falling away. Okay. So understand that when the Jesus movement first started, it was considered a sect of Judaism, right? By those that were looking in from the the outside. But also, if you look at Acts, Pastor Craig has been going through Acts for the last forever, um, really getting all those chapters. But initially, they were shocked that the Gentiles had come to faith, right? Remember that? You know, Peter's like, Cornelius sends for Peter, and Peter's like, okay, well, the Lord has shown me that I can go ahead and come into a Gentile's house, but, um, and right in the middle, I mean, Peter doesn't even give a good invitation. Right in the middle of when he's preaching, the Holy Spirit drops on that room full of pagan Romans, and they're all convicted, and they all come to faith in Christ. And then Peter gets called on the carpet about this. You went to the home of a Gentile and ate and blah, blah, blah. And Peter's like, well, you need to understand the same Holy Spirit that we received, they received. Oh, and then everybody went, oh, well, I guess the Lord is allowing the Gentiles to repent and have eternal life. Exactly, okay? But initially, this idea of being thrown out of the synagogue would have been... uh, a horrible thing for them because that was the center of community. It's kind of like the church used to be. Church is not so much that anymore, which saddens me greatly. Um, you look at some churches and they're still very much the center of community for their people. Um, <clears throat> I think this uh, church across the street from us is a little more like that, uh, Cristiana de Fe, because uh, those folks are there you know, a lot. The Myanmar church up the road too. I mean, there's just cars slammed around that thing 
you know, at all different times of day and whatever. And we have community here as well. But if I tried to get everybody here uh, <laughs> at, you know, all of the times that you know, these folks do, I don't think it would work for everybody's schedules because we live far away and it's just not the center of community anymore. But the synagogue was, that was central and essential. To be kicked out of the synagogue would be to be isolated from your people, right? Well, they didn't yet realize that when Jesus spoke in chapter 10 of uh, being the shepherd of sheep that were more than just this fold, that that other fold of sheep is Gentiles, right? Which, as far as I know, is all of us in this room, okay? And we're allowed in. So the church takes the place of synagogue, right? It's the same thing. It is the, 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 the called out gathering of people, right? Um, church in Greek uh, is also uh, uses the word kaleo, okay? Parakaleo, paraclete, is the Holy Spirit who's called alongside. Okay, church is ekkaleo, ekklesia, okay? Ek and kaleo, which means to be called out, we're called out from what? We're called out of the world and into fellowship with one another where we worship the one true God, okay? So initially this sounds, you know, pretty difficult for these uh, disciples, not realizing, of course, yet that Christianity is gonna become what it's gonna become. Then he says, everyone who kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. Well, let's go back to the, uh, book of Acts, that's exactly what Saul of Tarsus thought he was doing, right? So, um, the first martyr. Who was the first martyr? Stephen. They stoned him to death. So, Acts chapter 7 is this long uh, teaching piece that, that Stephen delivers, okay? It's like a, like a sermon, but it's very much, it, it goes over the holy history. And he accuses his fellow Jews of being responsible for crucifying Jesus, of not listening to the Holy Spirit, okay? And so they just, they cover their ears, they shove him outside the city, and this is illegal, by the way, okay? Um, and then they, they stone him to death. Well, guess who was standing there holding their coats? Saul of Tarsus. And then as we move through uh, the early part of chapter nine in Acts, Saul is with a group of men that are going to the city of Damascus with letters from the Sanhedrin to arrest any Christians that are there and drag them back and have them put on trial and executed, you know, if necessary. Saul thought he was doing a service to God by having these people killed. But what happened to Saul? Right? The, the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. This sight was so overwhelming, this bright light, that he fell to the ground. He became blind and he heard this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul immediately recognizes this is no ordinary voice. He's been trying to listen to the voice of God his whole life. Well, who are you, Lord, that am I, you know, I may know? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and I'll tell you what you're gonna do. See, to me, this says something. It says something very important. Somebody can have a, a misunderstanding about Jesus and about Christianity, okay? But if they're genuinely seeking God, they're gonna end up accepting Jesus, 
Um, a good example of this, in my opinion, is uh, among Muslims. Muslims believe in who they call Isa, right? Which is their name for Jesus. But they do not believe he's the son of God. They do not believe that he was crucified, okay? They do believe that he was the seventh prophet and a great prophet, but not as great as Muhammad. They also, many of them believe that Isa, Jesus, is going to return as he promised, but they just don't have the right understanding. I just read an article today um, that uh, came off of a, uh, let me see if I can find this here. Here it is. Um, it came from a, a, a journal online called Western Journal, okay? And it's, it gives the testimony of a Christian apologist named Mike Lacona. And here's what it says. More than 200 Muslim men in Gaza, you know Gaza right now, right? This is where the war is going on. 200 men in Gaza have converted to Christianity after reportedly seeing Jesus in their dreams. This happens a lot among Muslims. They see a vision of Jesus in their dream. Tell me how that's any different than the Apostle Paul who is chasing God as best he can, but he's wrong seeing a vision of Jesus on the road. Whether you're awake or asleep, the vision of Jesus is the vision of Jesus, right? And these people are very attuned to this idea that dreams are significant, okay? So I think, call yourself a Muslim, call yourself a Jew, call yourself a, a Mormon. If you're genuinely seeking God, you are going to find the real Jesus. I really believe that with all my heart, okay? And that is the case even with people that are seeking to kill Christians, okay? Uh, in fact, I've, I'm, I may get this book. There's a book out right now uh, that I just encountered on Amazon about a guy that was a, uh, he was a former sniper for the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, which was headed by Yasser Arafat until he was probably murdered uh, in the, early 2000s, late 90s, okay? But this guy's written a book. He became a Christian. Um, there's a guy uh, who, he is the son of one of the founders of Hamas, and he's written a book called Son of Hamas, and he's a Christian now, all right? So this happens all the time. We just have this, you know, idea that is placed before us as a result of the media that people are just essentially, you know, they're one or the other and people don't change. And uh, no, man, this happens all the time. Okay. Jesus said, why do they do these things? Why are they going to kick you out of the synagogue? Why are they going to kill you and think they're giving service to God? They do these things. These things they will do. I love this word order, but again, it's word for word because they have not known the father nor me. So there can be people in Christian churches claim to follow Jesus. They claim to believe in Jesus, right? But that doesn't mean that they are Christians or that they really do follow Jesus, okay? Um, the evidence is in the fruit of their lives. So if you've got somebody in a church situation and they're just hateful to their brothers and sisters in Christ, um, they're more culturally oriented than they are oriented toward Christian values, then, you know, it's, there's a good likelihood they don't know Jesus at all, okay? 
Then Jesus says, but these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. As in when the hour for these things comes, uh, not people. However, I did not say these things to you at the beginning because I was with you. So what Jesus is doing is he's preparing the disciples for this time, which is very soon, when he's no longer going to be physically present with them. And um, yeah, within a day, that is going to be the case. And the main preparation for this is going to be the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that's what the Lord speaks of next. So I'm going to read this passage, but I know we're not going to get all the way through it. Um, In fact, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up. I'm going to go back to New Living. I'm going to read this passage from New Living, okay? So this is John 16, 5 through 15 in the New Living Translation. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, there's another word for the helper. Same word, okay? So if we go back to New NASB, it's going to translate this as helper. It's the same word. If I don't, the advocate, that is, if I don't go away, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Now, this is a translation right? And it's making an interpretation there. And I don't entirely disagree with it, but you're going to see that I'm going to teach something a bit different. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what is heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Now, there's a lot here to unpack, and I really don't have a lot of time. So let me just kind of introduce it and see how far we get. Um, The disciples were afraid to ask Jesus where he was going, okay? He says, um, here's the NASB version of it. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going, right? Well, they couldn't understand why or how Jesus could die, It was inconceivable that the one who had just raised Lazarus from the dead, probably several weeks earlier, um, could somehow be killed. Yet, that, in fact, was God's plan. Remember, very beginning of John, John 1, 29. uh, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Jesus came to do. So, they would rather have Jesus comforting physical presence with them. And perhaps we think the same. What if Jesus walked into this room? We think, wow, that'd be incredible, right? Um, in fact, there's a, there's a worship song. Uh, and it, goes, it has that refrain in it over and over. What would you do if he walked into this room? The thing is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in this room right now. Are you paying attention to that? Okay. He says, it's to your benefit that I go away. Why? Because if Jesus, when he's limited on earth to that physical body, he can only pay attention to one situation at a time. You see what I'm saying? He can't be all places at once. He couldn't be at our church and at First Baptist over here and uh, presumably the 
Christianity phase meeting over there. He couldn't be in all those churches at the same time. He could just be in one. Okay, but now, not only can he be in all those churches at the same time, he can be in all of us at the same time. That's what the advocate does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Because the Holy Spirit is spirit. He's not limited to a physical body, a a specific time and place only. When you're in your physical being, like you and I are, our physical bodies right now, you can only be in one time and one place at once, okay? That's that's it. Um, and, uh, you know, we're worn out by that because we have all these things that we need to do, but we can only be in one time and one place at, at the same time. But the Holy Spirit has come so that the the manifest presence of Jesus may be exponentially multiplied, Okay? So Jesus manifests his presence or manifested back then by literally walking into the room in a physical body. But now his manifest presence comes through the Holy Spirit and it is exponentially multiplied, right, into the heart and life of every single person that chooses to put their faith in him. So when he comes, he says he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Now here's the literal, okay? Regarding sin, because they do not believe in me. Regarding righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you no longer are going to see me. This is why I don't think the New Living translated this uh, accurately, in my opinion. And regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So one of the primary actions of the advocate, the helper, the indwelling Holy Spirit, is conviction. So this is where this idea of a counselor as uh, a legal counsel, okay, or an advocate as a legal advocate, this is where this kind of comes in. The spirit moves upon the conscience of every believer, convicting and convincing them of spiritual and moral truths. The Holy Spirit acts to prosecute the world for sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. Okay? Regarding sin, because they do not believe in me. Faith in Jesus as the Christ results in believing what he teaches and commands. The Lord persistently prosecuted the self-righteous, and in many cases the self-appointed religious leaders, such as the scribes and Pharisees. They didn't believe in him, so they refused to accept his testimony in regard to their sin. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to work to convince their hearts and convince their minds about the wrong they do. So when we talk to people about sin, and maybe you don't do that because we don't want to offend them, hurt their feelings, and so forth, okay? Uh, last Sunday's message is a primary example. I'm sure that was, you know, bothersome to some people, right? They don't want to hear these things, okay? And maybe I don't necessarily want to address these things. But nonetheless... Um, it's the Holy Spirit that we rely on to convict people, right? Not, you know, the oratory skills or the debating skills of a particular speaker, right? Not your persuasive power uh, to convince them, your ability to argue them into your point of view. No, we just share the truth, we share the gospel, and we let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. He's gonna convict people of sin, Right? 
He says, because they don't believe in me. Well, the Spirit's going to convict them, right? And then he says, regarding righteousness, because I am going to the Father. Well, this is because Jesus is the perfect man. He's the perfect moral example. So he's not going to physically be present anymore to show the way. The testimony of Jesus is going to be there through the disciples, all right, as we already saw, and through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to tell people, that's wrong. The Holy Spirit is going to tell people, that's right. The Holy Spirit is going to convince people that the Jesus way is the right way. What did Jesus say? I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. And the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that convinces people of that. And finally, he says, but when the spirit of truth comes, uh, excuse me, uh, there's one more thing I want to do. And re regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged, all right? So the spirit conv convinces people, convicts people that there is a judgment day that's coming. Satan and his lies are going to be exposed. The Holy Spirit convinces of this reality. Um, he says, regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. He connects the reality that Satan has been judged with judgment day, right? Um, the Holy Spirit convinces people of that reality. I fear God. I throw myself on his mercy. I call out to his son to save me from the coming wrath. And that's exactly what it says that the Lord does, right? We're not destined for wrath. First Thessalonians um, 110, 1 Thessalonians 6, uh, 9, I believe. Okay. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren and he ministers condemnation to my conscience. So there's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. Okay. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and that drives us to Christ. Satan seeks to minister condemnation and drive us away from Christ and drive us away from God. We're worthless, we're useless, we're nothing, we're garbage. We, we don't deserve God's mercy. No, that's why it's mercy. Okay, but that's the difference. The accuser of the brethren, Satan is called in Revelation chapter 12. It says the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of our brothers, okay, has been thrown down. Guess what? He can't accuse you before God, but through his demonic spirits, he can accuse you before you and before other people. Does that make sense? And so what we have to say is, no, I'm going to rely on the mercy of God. I'm going to rely on the grace of God. I'm not going to allow these accusations to stick. So when the accusation is true, see the, see the thing is Satan's a liar, but the best lies have truth mixed in with them. Okay, so Satan is the one pointing the finger at you. Okay, you're worthless, right? You're going to hell, whatever. Well, if I look at my actions, I can say, if I'm just being judged solely on the basis of my actions, then no, I don't merit heaven. I'm not going to earn my way in there. So I can say, you know what, you're right, but I'm relying on the mercy of God. That's correct, okay? I've, I've committed this sin. I've done this wrong. This is, this, but this is not who I want to be. I am relying on the grace of God, okay? And so it is this kind of judgment that the world will be convinced of, once again, by the Holy Spirit. Um, I've got about a minute and a half. 
when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Jesus said the same thing of himself. He says, I don't, I don't speak on my own initiative. I'm only speaking what the Lord, what God, my, the father is leading me to speak. So this is why I tell people we, we've, I, I don't hear this so much anymore, but um, we talk a lot about having Jesus in your heart, right? It's actually the Holy Spirit that brings Christ into your heart, right? It's actually the Holy Spirit who testifies. It's the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you, right? So there's this, uh, there's this pathway of communication and power through the Trinity um, that perhaps is you know, somewhat mysterious to us, but there's, there's an order there within the Trinity, Granted, all three persons in the Trinity are, you know, consubstantial. They're co-equal. They're co-eternal. Um, uh, they're co-existent. But there is this complementary, and I don't mean like complementary colors. It's as in complementarian um, relationship amongst the persons in the Trinity. And we see that coming out here, okay? Um, he's the, the Spirit is going to guide you into the truth, and he's not going to speak on his own right? There is this unity in the Trinity. So he's not just speaking on his own. He is speaking what he hears and he will disclose to you. It also says what is to come. So if we're going to navigate our way through this confusing world where people talk about my truth, where lies are are spoken of as though they are truth, where we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, do you have any idea who the next president of the United States is going to be? Because I don't. I mean, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen right now. It's just, it's crazy. The world is just getting crazier. So you just got to trust the Lord and let the Holy Spirit lead you one day at a time, one step at a time. Amen? Amen.